It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Let's bring in hot topic okay. before I bring up my wiener. <laughs> I mean, Anthony wiener. <laughs> What's so sad is I remember when they were going through all that. Yes, I know. Um, uh, Huma? Yeah, Aberdeen. yep. All right. I have to tell you this because I thought this was crazy. This is the headline. Okay. There's a lot packed into this one story. Okay. Turkish biotech tycoon. Okay. You got that Turkish Mm -hmm. and a tycoon charged with plotting murder of Vermont father after he threatened to expose him for fraud is a former magician who faked his medical degree, then duped us healthcare whizzes, including Dr. Fauci. That's like a lot to handle in one. Okay, so headline. This Turkish biotech magnate lied about being a doctor. Yeah, he. So he was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder. This going to murder. Greg Davis was a Vermont father. I don't know why they threw that in there. And one of his business associates in 2018, he was found shot dead in a snowbank near his home. I guess maybe that's why they threw in the Vermont. A day after he was picked up by a man posing as a U.S. marshal. That's messed up. We're still collecting a lot of information and doing our field work. Vermont state troopers continued looking for answers at the home of a man found shot to death in the Northeast Kingdom. This after a driver reported seeing a body partially covered in snow off to the side of Peacham Road in Barnet late Sunday afternoon. After troopers spent most of Monday searching for evidence... They identified the victim as 49-year-old Greg Davis, a father of six from nearby Danville. An autopsy shows he died from multiple gunshot wounds to his head and torso. We can't get a time of death, but, you know, based on snowfall and the last time they plowed, you know, we're we're estimating it was, you know, sometime maybe, you know, we're, we're thinking maybe Saturday, you know, evening, Sunday during the day. Who, the Turkish guy was posing as a U.S. martyr? No. No, he had somebody pose as a U.S. marshal to, mm. to carry out a hit on him. So federal prosecutors are saying I, his name is Gumruku. I'm sorry if I mispronounced. I definitely Gumraku? Yeah. Did you say Gumraku? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plotted to kill him because he planned to report him for fraud. Court documents reveal that Davis was primed to report the Turk the Turk, Turk. and his brother to the FBI. I feel like they really wanted to say that for allegedly lying to him about profits from an oil deal. It was 2017 around the type that gum Raku was trying to acquire a majority stake in Enochian biotech. So he plotted to have him killed to stop him from ruining this deal. Before his arrest, he owned a hundred million dollars worth of biotech stock. Why did he pose as a doctor, though? I don't understand that. Like, what was the reason for that? Was he trying to sell something in the U.S.? Um, when he was a teenager, he was a magician, and then he faked his medical degree. I mean, who wasn't? But anyway, <laughs> I think because he started this bioscience company, which is another. Theranos kind of thing to be developing treatments for cancer, hepatitis, and HIV. The company. So it was all a sham, too? Yep. The company is listed on the NASDAQ with a valuation of $137 million. What? This is totally another Elizabeth. 
these people are so smart sometimes to get this money. Then they, then they're done. They get found out, but I'm not even that smart to try to get the money in the first place. God, there is this one woman, Kathy Jones, that used to want to be on television in the worst way. And she was basically a scammer. She was just, she would just try and get people to invest in different things, get paid for it. And just going from one group to the next. And it was just, and I have lost touch with her. I think it's been like 10 years since I've spoken to her, but um, she was fascinating. Is she in jail? Is she in Danbury? Maybe we could go visit her as an excuse. I don't know. I mean, she, she is entertaining. Kathy Jones, if you ever get a chance, she like basically helped get Wu-Tang Clan off the ground, right? Uh, did they do, didn't they do a documentary recently about that? Yeah, but I don't think Kathy was in it. But she used to hang out in, in Beverly Hills. And I was on this show called, it was on WeTV. Mm-hmm. And it was about relationships, women with relationships in Los Angeles. Okay. And God, I forgot the name of it Can now. Can I go watch it? Single in LA. It was called Single in LA. I haven't been able to find it anywhere. But Kathy was on there. I feel like I might have watched that at some really? point. Yeah. It was like 2003, I think. Maybe 2004. She would do the titty showcase run in Beverly Hills. And she would pop those boobies out. And she'd go jogging in Beverly Hills and try and pick up rich dudes. So for the show, we did the titty showcase run. And I had two push-up bras and then like a sports bra. And I, I was choking on my boobs. They were somewhere <laughs> up around my neck. And we did this funny run around Beverly. It was embarrassing, mortifying all at the same time, but it was a Kathy Jones. She will tell you that she used to take a horse bath in the trunk of her car. She would keep a bucket of water and like a clean towel. She'd pop the trunk. She'd transition from the Compton flea mart mm-hmm. the first part of the day, take a horse bath with a little, you know, there were, this was before the, the wipes generation. Yeah. She put that bucket in her trunk, she'd hose down, and she was ready for the nightlife in Beverly Hills. It's great. I mean, this woman was so entertaining, and I I just didn't know where she fit into a TV show. Yeah. No, I mean, that, I feel like she's a little early for her time, but she would have made it. She would have made it if it was just a few, yeah. Now she'd That's be like golden. iconic. She was like a woman before her time. So we went to Aspen with her one year. She got all these rich people to come back to a party at our condo and we didn't have enough paper to start a fire. So she put cooking oil on the logs in the fireplace. Like how did you not get like and rags and bath, like rags from the bathroom. It was something tells me that's not her first time. No, (laughs) it was just crazy. Oh God, I like it's one of those double-edged swords where you wish you'd hear from her, but again, you don't because you're afraid to hear what has happened. Yeah. Another story I saw, speaking of past iconic figures, and I don't know if you really have anything to contribute, but I feel like mm-hmm. you're always adjacent. <laughs> you might, you're, you're always story adjacent. So there's got to be like six degrees of Larissa somewhere in this story that you knew somebody that knew somebody Let's at this. Give it a shot. Okay. I may disappoint you. So former Studio 54 owner, Mark Fleshman, reveals he'll commit suicide. Did you hear about this? No, I don't know him. Studio 54 was Sodom and Gomorrah with a disco theme. A place where celebrities and civilians alike reveled in unrestrained debauchery. 
where everything was going on in full swing. Drag, sex, and rock and roll in every single angle. Studio 54 obliterated all, it was the Titanic of nightclubs. It was a club ruled by two wildly different men, the gregarious Steve Rubell and the reticent Ian Traeger. A club that was a hangout for Andy Warhol, Bianca Jagger, Halston, Calvin Klein, and Liza Minnelli. Just before they went to jail, they had a really big bash. And uh, Steve kept playing, I did it my way, over and over again. So he's uh, a former owner, right? Mm -hmm. I figured you would know somebody who used to go to Studio 54. I don't. I mean, I don't, unfortunately. I think that was, that's a little bit before my time. Oh, I definitely think it's before your time. I just mean that you might know people that had went there and and then you met them this, like after the heyday of it. This was a strike. I know nothing, but tell me about it. Why are they worried that he's going to commit suicide? And why shouldn't that be his own thing? He's 82 years old and he reveals he'll commit suicide at Swiss Dignitas Clinic on July 13th after two years of mystery illness that's left him bedbound vegetable. Because, you know, it's oh, legal yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah, Where is he at? Um, right now, I think he is... He said legal over there. Is he in Switzerland or someplace? Or No, he's in California. And he said that he's been ill since 2016 when he felt his left leg start to drag at his home in California. And he was during the time of studio 54 when they used to like Rolling Stones would go and Robin Williams would go seventies. Yeah. Well, that's, what's weird. I don't think it's legal here in California, but I think in Oregon it is. Yeah. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. While the National Advocacy Group Compassion and Choices filed a lawsuit in October on behalf of a local doctor at OHSU, a settlement was reached yesterday in the U.S. District Court here in Portland. The Oregon Health Authority and Oregon Medical Board agreed to stop enforcing the residency requirement and ask the legislature to remove it from law. Medical aid dying, a practice that is legal in 10 other states in addition to Washington, D.C., but now having to live in Oregon won't be required. So speaking of old scandals, you've got to bring, oh. you've got to talk about this one. I'm so no. glad you took this one because just the whole thing, of, I couldn't say his name properly. I, I don't know if I'm going to do it justice. I'm going to kind of whiz through it. I'm going to cruise through it. I have only heard this one pronounced Mr. Anthony Wiener. <laughs> I'm sticking with Wiener. Okay. I've seen so many documentaries on this young gentleman. And the reason he is of importance is because he is a political figure who was embroiled in scandal. And it all started in July of 29th in 2010. He was a Democratic congressman from New York, and he gained national attention. You know, this young guy, I'm not even sure how old he was, but he's probably in his 30s, when he gave a impassioned speech on the House floor about health care for 9-11 emergency responders. Until all members have already spoken and then stand up and wrap your arms around procedure. We see it in the United States Senate every single day where members say, we want amendments, we want debate, we want amendment, but we're still a no. And then we stand up and say, oh, if only we had a different process, we'd vote yes. You vote yes if you believe yes. Now, d- during that time, things went viral. He was known as like, yeah, let's listen to this guy, man. He's, he's fighting for the little man. Let's do this. Not too long after that. You know, he was a golden child then. Everyone loved him. But in May of 2011, there was a lewd photo that appeared briefly on Wiener's Twitter account. And Andrew Breitbart got a hold of this, and he was the first to report the image. And it was 
it was a picture of a bulging crotch of a man in his underwear. And I remember this picture. It was like those gray, like tight boxers. Mm -hmm. And it was a bulging crotch. Okay. So Wiener comes out and says, look, look, he kind of had a high voice, kind of like this. It's like, look, hey, man, this is a prank and not a terribly creative one. And, you know, he got all wound up like, it's not my fault. This is a prank. Someone hacked my account. He also tells CNN that he did not post the picture and he hired a law firm to investigate. This is the picture that started the controversy, tweeted from the account of one of Congress's brightest Democratic stars and directed to the Twitter name of this 21-year-old college student. But it was the congressman's response that created the firestorm. I am not going to permit myself to be distracted by this issue any longer. Answer the question. Was it from you or Sir. not? Permit, permit me. Do you guys want me to finish my answer? Every reason you do the questions, I do the answers, and this jackass interrupts me. How about that as the, as the new rule of the game? At the end of that disastrous press conference, he insisted he wasn't going to talk about it anymore. But today, with a growing media circus outside his office, Congressman Weiner, a little calmer, decided to talk some more. This whole thing would just go away if you just answer a couple really basic questions, right? Did you send the tweet? Is that a photograph of you? And why not call for an investigation? The answer is I did not send that tweet. It, my system was hacked. I was pranked. It was a fairly common one. People make fun of my name all the time. When you name Wiener, it, it, you kind of get that. I've asked a firm to take a look at this. They're hiring an Internet security operation. We want to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So he continues to evade questioning about whether the photo is of him, right? Now we're in June, and all of a sudden he does an about-face, and he holds a press conference, and a tearful wiener apologizes for having lied about his Twitter account being hacked and admits to having engaged in inappropriate online relationships with several women he met on the internet, generally on Facebook. He tells reporters he will not resign and does not plan to separate from his wife. To be clear, the picture was of me and I sent it, Wiener says. Now, he is married to Huma Abedin, and this is, um, Abedin is an advisor to Hillary Clinton, right? Yes, a very favored one. She was very well respected. She was awesome. Yes. And so she's expecting their first child during all of this. This is is so sad. Their relationship was also very, I don't say the word popular, but it was very respected when it first was. Just so you know, I lived in New York. So they were in the news a lot because I think she was Muslim and he's Jewish. So he was respected before this happened, right? He was like the guy of the moment. And she was a golden child, too, because she was doing some great things for Hillary. In June, you know, a couple of days later, this comes out. He decides he's going to go to treatment to focus on becoming a better husband and healthier person. And he's asking for a short leave of absence from Congress. And it's not clear what type of treatment he's going to undergo. It, TMZ then publishes photos of Wiener in various states of undress, which he apparently took himself in a locker room. Like locker room? Really? Would you do that in the privacy of your own bathroom? Come on. Anthony. Yeah, but it's well, I think men, when they go to the gym, just are feeling themselves. Oh, they God. always take those gym selfies. Ooh. Yeah. But I'm like, do guys ever walk in on each other doing it? Because they do it so often. <sighs> or they're like oh. this, you know, holding the bicep. It's just like, oh, I just woke up like this. Yeah, it's, yeah, I just woke up like this. So literally on June 16th, which is only like a little over a week later, he announces he's going to resign from Congress 
and he apologizes apologizes for the personal mistakes I have made and for the embarrassment I have caused. So he's showing remorse. I thought he was supposed to be in treatment, but he's looks like he hasn't gone yet. December 21st in 2011, Wiener's wife gives birth to their first child, a boy named Jordan Zane Wiener. I'm sorry, Jordan. I know. <laughs> so in July of 2012 now, there's an interview published by People Magazine, and Wiener says he has no immediate plans to run for office again. I mean, he was pretty much like blackballed at that point. No one wanted him to run for office. Everyone felt bad for Huma. We all thought like he had gotten his shit together. But uh, he says, I can't say absolutely that I will never run for public office again, but I'm very happy in my present life. Wiener said when asked about rumors, he might run for New York mayor again. I'm not doing anything to plan a campaign. I mean, when this was news, did you think he had changed? No. And I felt just really bad for her. It's sad that the husband will do something like this and it ends up being like a reflection. And and it's uh, not, it's kind of sexist of me probably even to say that, but I was like, I didn't judge her for it, but I yeah. was just like, oh, what? Poor thing. Especially when she was very, very pivotal for Hillary. Yeah. She was really up and coming in that world to have this kind of distract from that. Mm-hmm. So about a year later, um, after months of speculation, Wiener announces he's running for mayor of New York City. And he does this press conference and he's like, look, I've made some big mistakes and I know I've had a lot, a lot of people down, but I've also learned some tough lessons. He says, <laughs> he really should do his voiceover for like a Simpsons. <laughs> yes. I'm running for mayor because I've been fighting for the middle class and was struggling to make it for my entire life. And I hope I get a second chance to work with you. So that's in May. When we faced this public two years ago, it was the beginning of a time in our marriage that was very difficult, and it took us a very long time to get through it. Our marriage, like many others, has had its ups and its downs. It took a lot of work and a whole lot of therapy to get to a place where I could forgive Anthony. It was not an easy choice in any way, but I made the decision that it was worth staying in this marriage. That was a decision I made for me, for our son, and for our family. In July of 2013, a gossip website publishes screenshots of sexual conversations that Wiener allegedly had with a woman last summer. What the fuck? How can he not get this through his head? Hours later, Wiener said some of the explicit online chats took place after his resignation from the U.S. House in 2011. So they think just because they resigned, they could go ahead and resume their horrible behavior. No one will see it. No one will notice it. We're only in 2010, 11, 12, 13, where online presence is everything. So he joins his wife for the press conference for the first time. She said, while her husband has made some horrible mistakes, both before he resigned from Congress and after, she was sticking with him. And she says, what I want to say is I love him. I have forgiven him. I believe in him. And as I have said from the beginning, we are moving forward. Okay. So she writes an article for Harper's Bazaar and she states in the magazine, New Yorkers will have to decide for themselves whether or not to give him a second chance. I had to make that same decision for myself, for my son and for our family. And I know in my heart that I made the right one. 
But the editorial board of the New York Times said Wiener's problems have marred his mayoral run. So the serially evasive Mr. Wiener should take his marital troubles and personal compulsions out of the public eye, away from the cameras, off the web, and out of the race for the mayor of New York City. On August 12th of 2013, in an interview with BuzzFeed, Wiener says his conduct has hurt Puma, Aberdeen. And he says, I feel that I've what I've done has hurt her. Yeah, it hurts her professionally. It hurts her personally. We made a decision that these things were behind us. We made a calculated gamble on the question of whether or not citizens would be more in, interested in my, their family's future than in my personal failings that are behind me. Sorry, I had to transition into his voice. In, of course, he does not win the mayoral race. He finishes fifth. His campaign imploded after he admitted to having more lewd conversations with women he met on the internet. Bill de Blasio wins the Democratic nomination, right? Which, yeah, he turned into being quite the controversial yes. figure. But what I find interesting is, I mean, who was the Marion Barry who yes. used to smoke crack yes. in D.C.? Or who was the other mayor? Uh, there was that guy. And then, oh, Bill Clinton yeah. came out and his career didn't no. die. But I feel like we just don't have the same tolerance for that yeah. stuff anymore. Or maybe it just gets plastered in your face so you can't ignore it because of social media. I don't know. Well, he came in June of 2014. So almost a year later, he apologizes for another mistake. He just can't stop. He's clearly got an addiction. Yeah. So the same social media site that's been at the crux of the political downfall, this time he favorited a tweet labeling the hookup app Tinder as the ultimate sext machine. He later apologized, right? So now two years later, on January in January of 2016, the documentary on Wiener's disastrous 2013 run for New York City mayor debuts at Sundance Film Festival. And it, it was meant to be a redemption story, and it just descended into tears and eventually farce after it was revealed the conduct leading to Wiener's initial disgrace continued well after he left Washington. Why are they filming you? I don't know. I, I, I Most of the time, I don't know why they're filming Are you somebody I'm supposed to know? It's Republicans wrapping their arms around Republicans rather than doing the right thing on behalf of the heroes. It was an absolute pleasure to see a Democrat not cowering. Married to one of Hillary Clinton's closest advisors. He never backed down from anybody. A photo of an anonymous man's bulging underwear. It was tweeted from Congressman Weiner's account. Today, I am announcing my resignation from Congress. The punchline is true about me. I did the dumb thing, but I did a lot of good things, too. Running for mayor was the straightest line to clean up the mess that I had made. This is Anthony Weiner calling. Yes, I'm not Anthony Weiner, the one running for mayor. Why do you think you deserve the second chance? I didn't want to answer. I'm giving you the answer. I thought you were thinking about it. I thought no, you were I'm trying talking to words. What I'm going to try to talk about is the issues facing New York City. Just a quick optics thing. You will look happy. Don't push up, Anthony. Show it to me again. Oh, my God. I can't believe I gave the press the finger. How many women were there? Can you remember? What I would like to talk about is housing in the Bronx. Any questions about that? Why should we trust our judgment? We're going to try to look like we're holding together as a group. I am profoundly sorry. And for that, I am profoundly sorry. Does the wife's absence say anything? What is wrong with you? What is he so afraid of? Your brother said that your father never... Do you believe you're suffering from any sort of addiction? What are you, the referee over there? We are staying calm and managing the situation. You're a real scumbag. Takes one to know one, jackass. Why didn't he just walk? (laughs) 
So in August of 2016, Aberdeen announces separation from Wiener. She's like, I've had enough. We have a toddler now. You're done. Do you really think she wants? I don't feel like she wanted that, though. I think she's a very loving and accepting woman. but It did, but it came after new reports that he sent sexually suggestive photos again. So she's like, okay, I forgave you in the past because mm-hmm. in the past, but now you're just keeping, keeping at it. After long and painful consideration and work on my marriage, I have made the decision to separate from my husband. Abedin was furious and sickened by a picture of Wiener and their four-year-old son, Jordan. According to two people close to the family, Wiener was alleged to have sent a picture of a bare-chested man with white boxers and a bulge while a small child is asleep beside him i've seen that picture have you seen it i haven't oh i did it's yeah it's exactly how you describe it abedin and wiener had been distant and heading on a path apart for a few months but she was reluctant to leave according to the two sources close to the family so she cut ties with him the new york ny1 which was like a network they cut ties with him and he was an occasional columnist and so on November two in November 2017, after pleading guilty to sexting with a 15-year-old girl, is to be freed about three months early. So he actually served a couple years, I think. Wiener release yeah. date has been brought forward from August 2019 to May 2019. Well, good afternoon. Anthony Weiner broke down repeatedly in court today. First started tearing up when he we heard his lawyer making the case for him. And then he broke down repeatedly when he himself was begging for leniency. But when the judge asked him to stand and told him he would get 21 months in jail, he lost it. Anthony Weiner had nothing to say as he left the courtroom, his plea for probation, no jail time, having fallen on deaf ears. He cried when Judge Denise Coates sentenced him to 21 months, seeking into his chair seemingly inconsolable for five full minutes. The judge called him a sex addict with, quote, a very strong compulsion, so strong, she said, that he continued sexting even though he lost his congressional seat in 2011 and had to pull out of the mayoral race in 2013. Weiner literally begged for probation, citing the need to care for his five-year-old son, but the judge said the notoriety of the case made prison a necessity. There is the opportunity, she said, to make a statement that could protect other minors. Wiener's friend, former state senator Tom Duane, waited outside the courtroom. I did give him a hug when he left. The 53-year-old former congressman pleaded guilty to one count of transferring obscene material to a minor. The charge centered around the serial sexer's contact with a 15-year-old girl, including asking her to sexually perform for him on Skype and Snapchat. Wiener's lawyers had argued that the girl was an instigator. They say she wanted to generate material for a book and possibly influence the presidential election. If that was her wish, it may have been fulfilled because some blame the scandal for Hillary Clinton's loss. When the FBI confiscated his laptop, they discovered emails from Wiener's wife, Clinton confident Huma Abedin. Then FBI Director James Comey used the emails to justify reopening his probe of Clinton's home computer just days before the election. I think that he is as good a candidate for rehabilitation as anyone that I've seen. There's never any guarantees, but uh, I know that Anthony's committed to working hard at his recovery, and uh, I believe that he will uh, continue to do that while incarcerated. Do you think he knew she was 15? That's the one I didn't part. Or did she say she was older? Because I would be so nervous about talking to anybody online. Yeah like that without verifying 
you know, wasn't the one in the beginning that he sent the picture to, was she underage or was she the fir- very first? No, they're just picture? all young. Yeah, they were all really they're all young. young. I feel that if he went to the website, our time <laughs> where everyone's over the age of 50, <laughs> he may not have been punished so terribly. Like if he were sending crotch shots to a woman in her seventies or sixties, maybe it would be considered an act of kindness as he'd be like the youngest one on there because all these dudes lie about their age at his age and they always go for women that are like 20 or 30 years younger i'm seeing it right now with men in their 40s crazy yeah and then they'll put on their thing want children and they'll say someday and meanwhile the guy's like 52 in real life and he's saying he's like 48 like dude you're not gonna start look at um who's the host of american idol what's his name he used to be a radio host little oh, guy he used to look like a barbie doll he's a tiny yeah. little guy my friend tiffany used to be his roommate in la um is he gay ryan seacrest only dates chicks who are at least 25 years younger than he is there's another one that i was reading about too there's always there's a couple of hollywood stars who only date like well 18 years or more they're junior like this girl he's dating is 23 well, Leo DiCaprio does the same thing. Yeah. He they, the he, thing. they age out of his bracket and they break up. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, you're 30. Bye. Uh, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the story of Anthony Weiner. I don't know what he's up to currently. I think he's trying to stay. He, you know, when he got out of prison, he was like staying with her. That's what he listed as the address. There was pictures of him. I think like la- this last year of him taking the little one to so, school with her. I don't think they're back together. I think he, she was helping him get on his feet while he was on probation. The little one's got to be around seven or eight now, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that is the story of Anthony Weiner, 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 Wanger, whatever you want to call him. But I wanted to mention one thing real quick. I think it's on Paramount Plus or on Peacock. I think it's Paramount Plus. Wives of the Oligarch. A documentary just came out. You have to watch it. I'm so shocked these women came forward. I'm so shocked. It's private jets. It's Rolls Royces. The oligarch lifestyle. It was everything you probably expected it to be. We all came from a country that had nothing. We had nothing. And you want everything. Whenever you make a contract with the devil, there will be consequences. I asked him, what is next? He said, I might be arrested or I might be killed. My mother was found dead. The police said it's an accident. It sort of made your blood go cold. I didn't care about the money, but I was so frightened for him. Going to Russia now would be suicide for me. There are millions of people across the globe who wish him dead. I have more. I almost brought it up, but I was like, oh, this will be a deeper dive when we're just talking about hot topics. There's more stories in the news of strange deaths of oligarchs. And I didn't even go back into like the history bank because there's even more that were, like I said, they had connections to one of the women on Ladies of London. There's a whole group that this guy was involved in and they all had suspicious deaths. Like one fell off a building, one one, uh, got caught at a railroad crossing. We really have to cover it. There's a huge, huge. 
together for a very long time. Mm. And I believe this wasn't just a financial crime. This was also a murder. So I think it's... There's been 14 suspicious deaths, all on British soil. Why haven't our police force investigated these deaths? The... The coroner recorded an open verdict. Yes. You say, as far as you're aware, the police did no investigating. You spoke to them 18 months ago. What, ha what happened then? What was the outcome of that? Well, they, they just haven't done anything. And they've actually admitted that they didn't do an, a, a full investigation. So I would like to know, now there's been further suspicious circumstances with further people... I would like the inquest opened up and I'd like the police to fully investigate how Scott came to that position where he was found dead and who by. And would that, do you believe, help you get the 26 million that you say that you are owed? Well, it, it, as I say, it was a financial crime as well as a murder. So how I do think you know that? It's, it's obvious from all the research, all the sources that I have, and I have many sources. Right. But why would somebody want him dead? To stop him paying you? Correct. What happened, he used professionals, lawyers, to restructure all the assets offshore, like many other wealthy husbands do during divorce proceedings. Many wealthy people in our country, in fact, Victoria, use offshore structures mm. for their assets. So he did exactly the same as what many other people did. And... The people, the lawyers that actually had the power of attorney over the assets, I believe could be implicated. And whether that leads to Russian connections, British connections, at this stage we really don't know. In the until it's investigated. In the run-up to Scott Young's death, four of his friends also died in what are described as suspicious circumstances. And were they financial crimes in your view as well? Possibly. They were all very wealthy people. Mm. So what happened? This was, you have to watch this. This is crazy. Like, I feel that these women aren't even safe now. I'm like, why are you coming out about this? And then it has old oligarchs talking about it. And I think only one is still living. And it shows Putin when he first, it shows Putin before he came into office when he was like a baby. And honestly, when he took office, he was the sweetheart of the Western world. Bush loved him. Everyone was going over to Russia, having, you know, dinner with Putin. Clinton told Yeltsin, I don't trust that dude. He's not for democracy. Oh, he did? Yeltsin and, oh, I got some news for you on this because oh. this was my hot topic of the week last week. What? I, okay, so first of all, there was a 60 Minutes episode about all the oligarchs that settled in London Yes. And now they're scrambling yes. because they basically accepted all this money. Even one of them got their citizenship, all this stuff. And now they're like, they literally called Belgravia like yes. Red Square. Red Square, exactly. You'll yeah. see that in this documentary too, yes. As Russian troops lay waste to Ukrainian cities, the West has tried to punish President Vladimir Putin by choking off the finances of his closest allies, mega-rich oligarchs who have lived abroad in luxury for decades. And while Europe has seized mansions and superyachts, and the U.S. has frozen bank accounts and banned travel, the U.K. is lagging behind. For years, Britain actively courted Russian billionaires, ignoring reports that some of their wealth was suspect. 
Today, there's so much Russian cash in Britain, the capital has been nicknamed Londongrad. British intelligence has warned that oligarchs' money is propping up Putin's regime and helping to fund the war in Ukraine. Now, the UK is under pressure to show its Western allies it can stop the flood of corrupt money. Money has been flowing into the United Kingdom, absolutely no doubt about this, which often has had what I could only describe as a tainted source. But then Russia is a mafia state. Dominic Grieve is a former Conservative Member of Parliament who served as Attorney General and chaired Britain's Intelligence Committee. His 2019 report on Russian interference in UK politics found Britain was awash in Russian oligarchs' money, much of it from untraceable sources. So one has to face up to the fact that if you're going to live in Russia or do business in Russia, you have to dance to the tune of the mafia boss, and the mafia boss is President Putin. You don't become an oligarch, you don't become a wealthy businessman in Russia without dancing to the tune of Putin. A lot of Russian businessmen have very close links to the Kremlin. Others don't. But as long as you have a connection to Russia, then the risk is that if you don't conform to the requirements of the Russian state, uh, you will come unstuck. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom has welcomed the oligarchs with few questions asked about their fortunes. Instead, a two million pound investment got special visas and a fast track to citizenship for hundreds of oligarchs. Billions of pounds poured in and Russian tycoons went on a buying spree. Andrei Goryev, an oil billionaire, bought Wintonhurst in London, only Buckingham Palace is larger. So then it got me into another episode and then a couple documentaries after that about Putin. BBC did an episode on him. It's really good. You have to listen to it. It's oh. about what happened in Chechnya, like all that Send stuff. Send it well, to me. He, yeah. So he was in the KGB in Eastern Germany. Working for Russia, though. He was working. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so what happened is they were like under attack at one point when, you know, the wall came down and all yeah. that. He called Russia for orders and nobody answered him. So he like nobody gave orders, like they yeah. just ignored him, didn't pick up the phone. So after that, that kind of really impacted him. And I think he's in the glorifying like this Russian heyday because he was in Eastern Germany during that time of like the KGB and yeah. all that stuff. And it got into how he rose to power. So Boris Yeltsin was an alcoholic, yeah. Yeah, he was. And he was looking for a guy that was going to be the prime minister that would pardon him. He, and yes. so he kept going through all these prime ministers to pardon him, to pardon him. And then this guy kind of crept in, very unassuming. Well, you, when you see this documentary, one of the oligarchs actually pushed, one of the biggest oligarchs at the time actually pushed Putin forward because they thought he would just tow the party line. And then he became a fucking monster. And he does all these. He got the oligarchs gave you know, basically took away things to give it to other people to get them mm -hmm. on his side. Like what happened with what, what's his name? The guy who owned DC United, Abraham or Abramovich. Uh, yeah. So yeah. he's like one of them, like all these people owe favors to him. And recently, I think you probably heard the story about how he was negotiating for people to leave Ukraine. But I don't even know where that guy went. Like he literally left England and have not seen him since. Just a few months back, this man owned the Chelsea Football Club. 
Now he's begging his rich friends to lend him $1 million to essentially keep him afloat. Russian oligarch Roman Abrovich saw his assets frozen by the UK government over his links to Vladimir Putin. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, the Russian oligarch has been rushing to protect his fortunes while also acting as a mediator in peace talks. He's gone. The example of what happened, I'm sorry if I say it wrong, Chechnya? Is, Chechnya, yeah. Was they have people that were there that witnessed them taking young men out of the places and killing that. Like, I mean, so many yeah. stories. It was the psychology behind him is what is fascinating to me. The psychology. He's like, he's got that deviant, um, God, just that dark, the dark behind the, like he does not give a fuck. It's like, he was like the little guy that didn't get what he wanted. And yeah, he's pretty tiny KGB yeah. because they put him in one section and he wanted something else. He was trying to be with the masses when he was prime minister yes. and like ride the horse shirtless and do. And he did for a while. He did. And the country is actually less democratic or less free press, like all that stuff now than it was back when the wall was falling. Oh, God, it's so locked down now. It's so locked. Maybe we don't do a deep dive into it because it is scary. It really is. Do you remember that guy that used to be an oligarch poisoned him with? um... Yes. Yeah. Then they had two. They had a mother, a father, daughter that had like turned, they were double spies yeah. or whatever it's called. And they were literally gassed. I think they used nerve gas on them on London soil. And they're like, how did you let, how did you just invite all this kind of, you invited this into the country and there was, wow. you know, their agents were coming in and killing people and using all those poisons. And oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, the poisoning is the way to go. Although they got pretty reckless with some of them in the 2000s, early 2000s. It was just like hanging, you know, gunshot wounds. I don't even know why these people are talking. They're still in London and they're still very accessible. And then one guy just disappeared on his wife. He had a moving truck come from France. He went to France. He had a moving truck come and they didn't even talk to her. His aide didn't even talk to her. They just took everything out of the house. And I don't know if that was maybe, I would think that's for her benefit. It's like, mm-hmm. just leave some money in the account and disappear. I don't care. At this time, I just want to keep my kids alive because they don't even know where he is now. I mean, I'm sure someone does, but he's hidden. A very rare nerve agent. That's what the UK's interior minister says was used to poison a former Russian spy and his daughter. It follows a number of mysterious deaths in the UK in recent years of people linked to Russia, which flatly denies any involvement. So, what are the implications of this latest attack? This is Inside Story. Welcome to the program. I'm Adrian Finnegan. The poisoning of former Russian intelligence officer Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia follows several mysterious deaths of Russians in Britain. Many of them had been living in the UK and had made allegations against Russian President Vladimir Putin or his country's security services. Those allegations often included state involvement in political assassinations, killings of civilians in bombings, and running multi-million dollar corruption rackets. 
Alexander Litvinenko, a former Russian intelligence officer who later worked with MI6 in the UK, died in November 2006, just weeks after drinking tea that was poisoned with radioactive polonium. A British public inquiry found that he was killed by two Russian agents, probably with the approval of President Putin. Russian businessman Alexander Perepilichny died in 2012 after collapsing while jogging near his home in Surrey. His death was at first attributed to natural causes, but an autopsy later found traces of poison in his stomach. He'd been investigating a huge money laundering scheme connected to Russian officials. And Boris Berezhovsky, a former Russian billionaire and vocal critic of President Putin, was found dead in his home near London in 2013. Police could not determine if he'd committed suicide or was murdered. Well, the poisoning of the Russian father and daughter comes at a time when Russian relations with the UK and the West are at their worst level since the end of the Cold War. Ciao, darling. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard, where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel, because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.